Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens and My Time Capsule is the podcast where people tell me five things from their life that they wish they had in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish, of course, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to get rid of from their life. Something they'd like to bury in the ground and never think of again. My guest in this episode is the comedian Esther Manito. Esther is a British Lebanese comedian. In other words, a comedian. She began performing in 2016, and in that short time, she became the first female comedian to perform at the Dubai Opera House. Her debut hour-long special, Crusade, is now live on ITVX. She's a regular on the stand-up sketch show. She's been on Live at the Apollo. Her show, Hashtag Not All Men, won Best Show at the Leicester Comedy Festival in 2021. She was a finalist in the So You Think You're Funny competition, and the UK tour of her latest show, Hell Hath No Fury, continues around the country until May 2024. So that's Esther, and I can say that she's a daring, original performer who's really building a reputation as one of the best comedians in the country. So let's waste no more time and find out about her, her life, and the five things from it she'd choose to keep safe in a time capsule. Or, of course, bury and forget. Here is Esther Manito. I was gigging with Finn Taylor a little while ago and um, he was so broken because he'd just had his second. <laughs> and I was, I was thinking, you're so broken. And he's like, yeah, but at least I'm here and I'm yeah. not there. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I get that advantage. I would rather just have this break. <laughs> Even if I die on my ass on stage, I would rather that than just the, <laughs> the hell that is... Um, <laughs> Two children under the age of two. It is very full on. Isn't it just? 
anybody, I've got two, so I remember it well. It never leaves yeah. you. I saw no. somebody the other day talking about the fact that the only way they could get their child to sleep was to jiggle it on their hip. And, you know, my wife and I, so we're both in our 60s, we were talking to each other in the kitchen the other day, and we both stood there with one hand on our hip, bobbing up and down. It never leaves you. It doesn't. <laughs> you can't stand still now. No. I notice it when, when you're standing talking to other mothers, you all stand there and just rock side to side. <laughs> it's because it, it, it does something to you. <laughs> it does. <laughs> you look back, though, with such rose-tinted glasses because you sit there and look back at photos when they're small and you're like, oh, my God, it was just idyllic and you were just heaven and it was mm-hmm. perfect and it was just... And then my dad interjected as I was just gushing over this photo of my daughter when she was little and he was like... All I remember is you just going, this is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, no, I didn't say that. And he was like, you did. You Mm -hmm. really did. (laughs) He had terrible tantrums as a toddler. So we had this kind of like real red, screamy toddler. You know, when people (laughs) would walk past in the street and go, why don't you stop your baby crying? (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't punch them. That's the amazing thing. (laughs) You're like, yeah, no, that didn't occur to me. Thanks. Occasionally, you'd have somebody who'd be really helpful and they'd be like, Oh, I've got this. Can I help distract her with this? Because they completely related to you. And then other times, you just have somebody going, um, You need to really, like, you know. One person said to me once, Maybe she just needs a hug. Oh my God. I was like, Yeah, no, I've never hugged my child. I no. just, you know, I just stand at a distance, formally shaking hands. Love doesn't help at all, not with children. No. No, it's violence. That's what works with children. <laughs> I was like, I can't hug her right now. She's like a chimpanzee on acid. It's like... <laughs> I remember my daughter, who now is in her 40s. But you never forget it, do you? But I remember her actually going off on one incredible wobbler when she was about two and a half in Sainsbury's. It's always Sainsbury's. My wife grabbed her by the arm and then had to drag her out of the thing as she screamed. Somebody recognised us and they sent the social services round. Brilliant. That's really helpful. Can we see your child, please? No, she's asleep. What you should have done is you should have let her run around Sainsbury's Mm -hmm. and you should have run after her and then just done that for hours and hours until she passed (laughs) out. And anything less than that, I'm afraid, is just abuse. (laughs) I was a terrible parent. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's incredible. My, My daughter, when she was two, she rocked up to nursery Um, And we don't know why. We got a phone call from the nursery and they said, can you come in to me? And I said, yeah. And they said, if it's okay to come in on your own. I was like, okay. Uh, So I came in and uh, they said, your daughter has come into nursery today and said, um, sometimes when my dad comes home, if he's a bit cross, he hits my mum. Oh, God. And we have no idea why she said it. (laughs) (laughs) And I did the worst possible thing that you could ever do in that scenario. I burst into tears because by this point I had my son who was like a few weeks old. Mm -hmm. And so I was sleep deprived and I just didn't know how to respond to that in any way that would be helpful. So I just, (laughs) just cried and they were like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Did you happen to have a bruise at the time? (laughs) <laughs> that would have been really helpful. What doesn't help is that my husband does look like a Millwall fan. So he also fitted the stereotype. And uh, yeah, we had to be reported to social services for them to keep an eye on us for a little while. So I feel your pain. 
And I said to my daughter, I said, but why did you say that? And she's going, no, I don't remember saying it. And I was like, why don't you? <laughs> she just went, I know hitting's wrong. And I was cross with dad. So I just wanted to say that he'd done something naughty. <laughs> but that's brilliant. That's great. You should be proud of it. I think. I was like, yeah, but your dad's a six foot two white skinhead. So you <laughs> pick the worst person. <laughs> They're all going to believe you. Absolutely. Well, look out of place at the Cenotaph. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know the thing I remember about that time is that you sort of pride yourself, don't you? Because it's your job on your ability to think of things quickly and to respond to things in a witty way. Yeah. Uh, and I remember pushing both my children in a double buggy and a man came round the corner with a briefcase and he wasn't watching where he was going and he bashed the children with his briefcase and then he turned to me and said watch where you're going and you know what I said this I'm really proud of this I said fuck off <laughs> which I think sums it up perfectly yeah that was exactly what was needed at that moment <laughs> the annoyance children brings to the british public is is incredible. You go anywhere else and they're like, you can go to a restaurant or a cafe and waiters are like, you know, rubbing your kid's hair and, you know, mm. just like, you know, welcome children. Children are the foundation of the future. They're everything. And in Britain, people are just like, do you have to breed gum? And you're like, oh. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have to use public transport? Can you not just <laughs> shuttle about in underground tunnels? Like the disgusting <laughs> vermin you are. And you're like, uh, okay. How do you just keep them locked up until they're 17 or 18 <laughs> when they can vote? <laughs> so I took my daughter and uh, a friend, me and a friend, we went with our girls to a cafe and her daughter and my daughter, they were like 18 months at the time and they sat at the table next to us and they were like pretending to be ladies having tea. And this group of older people were so angry that these children, <laughs> they were so angry. They were going, look at them there. Look at them there laughing, just laughing, mm. ruining our day. And I ended up just losing it. And I said, if children laughing has ruined your day, you have the most miserable existence ever. <laughs> miserable bastards. And but, of yeah. course, all parents have that. Don't they? That you've, you, you see it time and time again, people on the train, particularly in school holidays, taking their kids up to London and the kids are talking to each other. And without fail, a parent will turn to me as an older man and go, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. They're excited. And you go, I don't mind. Yeah. I don't mind children having a lovely time. What's wrong with that? I know. I know, because there would be somebody who's fuming. Mm -hmm. Maybe outside of London, people are a bit more happy about kids. Maybe. Yeah. In that London, thing you say about are. other countries, though, you know, I mean, remember going to Greece and then our children, we, it was, we loved it. We would almost move there because every time we went to a restaurant, the children would disappear. Yeah. I um yeah I remember going to Greece with my daughter for some reason I think it was a bit of a breakdown I just decided to go island hopping with my daughter <laughs> brilliant how old was she and she was like 10 months <laughs> and I was like right we're going that's it we packed our bags <laughs> I don't know what it was I was just like you know I just need to get out of being sat in this house with a baby um we just need to go and do something and it what it was absolutely heavenly but what made it lovely is just everyone the moment they saw you a mother with a baby but I did at some point think do they think that we're kind of like on the run or <laughs> that I don't know how to look after my baby? Because people would keep like, I, would, I was renting these like apartments mm. and people would like knock on the doors going, we bring eggs for the baby. <laughs> and I was like, no, I know 
Like, she's got food. <laughs> <laughs> and we tell no one. No one. Shh. We tell no one. <laughs> Don't worry. Violent father. Word spread. <laughs> <laughs> and then your husband turned up. And they went, we were and right. And met all the stereotypes. <laughs> and it all confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. Do you live near Millwall? No, I don't. <laughs> I just wondered why that came into your head. <laughs> I think it's because I've always had the stereotype of Millwall fans. Yeah. I tell you what it was, is I, well, I used to be a teacher back in the day and uh, the kids that I taught in East London were majoritively black and Asian. And I remember one of the lads really made me laugh because he went, you always know a Millwall fan because they're always the racist football fans that when they beat you up, you know their name because they've always got it tattooed across their knuckles. Like Mike Price. <laughs> <laughs> and so that Brilliant. image has kind of stayed in my head. And they can't understand why they're being convicted all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you always know Millwall fans How did he know that? How did he know it was me? <laughs> Don't, I'm East London. Yeah. Well, you've not been doing stand-up for that long, really, have you? And yet you are fantastically skillful at it, I have to say. Oh, thank you. It's very kind of you to say. No, no. You do it in such a relaxed way. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm really at ease at taking compliments, by the way. So, good. Just, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I'm the type of person that when I was younger, if a boy said he liked me, I'd be like, shut up and go away. I hate your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. Yeah. I've been going since 2016. Yeah, it's not long. Not not a huge amount of time, no. No? I mean, it feels long nowadays, because nowadays comedians are all, they're getting younger and younger, aren't they? So they're like, oh my God, I've been going ages. I've been going like seven days, and I was born <laughs> <laughs> last week. I'm not done live at the Apollo yet. <laughs> but you have done all those things. You have done live at the Apollo, you have done all the big gigs, and now you're doing your own tour, which is, it's a fantastic thing to do that in, what, seven years, eight years. Yeah, it will be eight years in April and it's been, yeah, it's been a real whirlwind. And sometimes mm. it's uh, it's very easy to get complacent, I think. And then other times you're just like, oh yeah, do you remember when I was like working <laughs> as a teacher and like, that's graft, that's proper graft. And I was like, mm -hmm. I would do anything. I was just like, oh, is there any way I can get out of this? And now you're like moaning because I don't know, <laughs> 10 minutes of new material. You're like, oh my God, I don't want to say, it's really hard. Oh, no one understands. I've got to go all the way to Coventry to do it. <laughs> then all the way back again. I know. Um, so it's very easy to get complacent, but no, I am I really appreciate that. It's been a real roller coaster, but it's been absolutely lovely to do. And above all of that, I mean, Live at the Apollo was obviously an incredible experience, but doing my tour has been so lovely I've enjoyed it so much I never ever I mean I heard other people talk about how lovely it is to find your own plan and yeah. you know preaching to the choir and you know they're really <laughs> on board with it and it's been absolutely lovely it's been really really lovely I've got to meet a lot of um very drunk mums and I'm very I'm very much here for it <laughs> perfect but I'm always amazed when they show shots of the audience with you just how embarrassed men get by some of the things you say yeah it's astonishing isn't it yeah especially as, it's so funny because somebody said to me once they said we'd love to book you but we can't because um of all the stuff you do about sex and I said um <laughs> I mean I've been married 17 years I have nothing to say about sex I've I've <laughs> Also, it's not my style. And they said, no, no, you do. You do a lot of sexual stuff. Because you're talking about the female body, maybe. Uh, well, well, do you know, I don't think they'd even heard me do that routine. And I, I got into this very awkward conversation of just somebody going, you do. And me going, could you tell me what it is? 
that I say. <laughs> and eventually, after a lot of awkward back and forth of them going, you know, that, you know, where you mm-hmm. – and I realised it is, A, talking in a graphic way about your own body and your body mm-hmm. being hairy or things like that, and also swearing. That in their mind, they've just gone, oh, she swears and she's got an Essex accent. Oh, she's crude and, and crass. And it's wow. so funny because I remember when I was um, – a kid, my mother's parents, they were very much like working class, you know, very conventional in their roles, you know, gender roles. And um, mm. I remember my my grandmother, she would just be like, I hate that Victoria Wood, she's so dirty. And I remember even as a kid <laughs> going, but you would watch Benny Hill. Yeah. And I would watch Victoria Wood with my parents and not, and I'd just be sitting there going, wonder when she does the dirty stuff then. Maybe there's a later show where she does the dirty stuff. I don't know. Maybe it's being open. It's Maybe and, it's just actually talking about it. And it would be because Victoria Wood would say something like, a sexual innuendo. You know, she'd do that song, Let's Do It, and then have all yeah. the references to, like, comparing that, you know, to Let's Do the DIY and then we'll do it. And, like, you know, kind of marital sex, but in this, like, long, drawn-out, un- unsexy way. And in yeah. my grandmother's head, she's just like, well, a woman, it's just, it's just, an, you know, and we've still got that subconscious of like, it's, it's inappropriate. Whereas men can stand up and do whole routines about their body <laughs> and about their sex life. Oh, they really can. And it's really okay. But what's lovely is that all the men, I had a group of lads that came to my show and at the end they came up to me and I was thinking, why are you here? <laughs> and they had been sent by their girlfriends because their girlfriends had seen a previous show. Right. And so they said, go to this show. And they said, we've been sent and we've had a lovely time. Um, <laughs> and it's been very eye-opening. So I do think I, I kind of win over a lot of the blokes that come to a show. And I think a lot of men who are in um, long-term relationships or dads, definitely, towards the latter end of my show, I talk a lot about dads. And I think a lot of blokes really kind of get on board with it. Mm. So it has been lovely to see all these men sit there going, oh, God, <laughs> and then kind of get on board and come up afterwards and say, oh, it's all right, actually. Yeah, yeah, but it's not really an attack on men, what you do. It's not. No, not at all. It's just pointing out the absurdity of it, the absurdity that men can behave a certain way and women can't. And now we know there's 51%, you know, you say, well, let's have a vote on it. But also in this show, just talking about how much we patronise dads yeah. all the time. It's like, he's not for... <laughs> he can do it. I mean, the amount of times I've had people come up to me and say, oh, my God, you know, your husband's so good, you know, looking after the children while you're out. And I'm like, <laughs> he's older than me. Like, what are you talking about? I haven't left them. You know, it's not like Peter Pan. I haven't left them with Katie Nana the dog. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. <laughs> he can put his kids to bed. He's not a child. But there is this kind of constant infantilization of blokes, which in a way serves a laziness, which, you know, can work out to advantage of a lot of men, but also can really disadvantage them because it really patronizes them. Mm. You know, and I, I'm like, I've got a son. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not looking after him till he's 65 and still thinking of him as a baby. It's not going to happen. No, having to do his washing and cook for him. I mean, I say that, but if he ever <laughs> meets anyone, <laughs> they're in trouble. I will burn London down. So. <laughs> Very complicated person. Uh, but, Esther, your jokes are so well-written and so clever. I mean, just that thing of you talking about your pubic hair and then you say it's out of control I and mean, you lot think I'm wearing tights. I love that joke. <laughs> just the picture that it creates in a couple of words is just beautiful. Oh, thank you. I do love that one. <laughs> it's fantastic. So, anyway, we should move on. We should talk about things that you've chosen to put into a time capsule, which is what this is about. Yeah, so I've got my four that I want yeah. 
to pass on and then my one that I hate. Yes. So my first thing is an eyebrow comb. Uh, right. You've got very nice eyebrows. Exactly. <laughs> and I want this. This is something that should forever be remembered is the eyebrow comb. It is an absolute lifesaver for women <laughs> with big eyebrows. And it is, I, I can't go anywhere without it. I love my eyebrow comb. Do they go wild if you don't comb? They go a bit wild, but it just makes them look silkier. It just mm-hmm. makes the shape better. Um, I know this is a very kind of like vapid uh, item to choose, but it's been a real lifesaver, the old like, eyebrow comb. Yes. I have fairly wild eyebrows, and I, <laughs> I'm i at the point now where I almost have to trim them every day. Wow. Otherwise, I would turn into one of those sort of mad professors. Yes. It is mental, isn't it? The way that why is it that your hair starts to go from some areas and increase in others? Mm -hmm. I've got bald patches on my legs. Bald patches on my legs. On your legs, but your eyebrows get bigger. Yeah. Isn't it funny? And my ear hair. Let's not talk about that, Mm. Esther. And women, as they get older, they end up shaving pretty much from their elbow to their hip bone. (laughs) Their armpit hair just goes out of control. (laughs) (laughs) What's your view then on the idea that... You know, where did that sort of come from, that women should remove hair? Um, I do kind of get it. I get that there's a kind of feeling that it will be cleaner and all the rest of it. Mm. That said, I think the moment anything becomes a job, that's when it becomes problematic. Yeah. Because I think now women feel that they have to do certain things and it, and it becomes really full on, really full time, the kind of maintenance. And to a large extent, that's led by the opinion of men. Or is it? Or is it pressure from yeah, peers? Yeah, maybe it is just the sexualization. There's also that thing of keeping a woman looking quite young, mm-hmm. softer, gentler, all, all of that, which I find a bit kind of problematic. I think the body hair is coming back, though, now, isn't it? I mean, I remember when I was a teenager in the 90s and it was that razor thin eyebrows and I literally had to spend my days just plucking and plucking and plucking and plucking and plucking my eyebrows. And then the moment the big eyebrow came back in, I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I can grow it all back out again. Well, you're lucky you can, because some people did that and then nothing grew back. I know. So many people have said that to me, Mm. that they plucked it all out and then they lost their eyebrows. Forever. forever. Have to paint them in. I know. It's awful. Awful. Really? What was that about? It was the trend, wasn't it? It was a real 90s trend of like Jennifer Aniston and Drew Barrymore and all these actresses just had these razor thin eyebrows and then this straight layered hair. Mm. And then we've kind of just gone the other way so now women are now getting their eyebrows tattooed and all sorts of things to make them look bigger and it's just when there's a trend of beauty it always has a group of people that then have to amend what they've got naturally to Mm. fit in and it would be so nice which is kind of happening I mean you see it in a lot of the body products adverts that they've got like different shapes different skin tones you know which is great different hair color So it is becoming a little bit more, you know, accept your difference. But when there are kind of trends with things like hair, it always has somebody at a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Always. Yes. When I was young, the trend was, so I was young in the 1970s. So the trend was to look like one of those glam rock band people. And they Mm. all had their hair curled under. You'd have a circular yes. brush and you'd have to try and curl your hair under. The hours I spent trying to get my hair to go under. And, of course, I had friends who just would come in, do that, and there it was for the night. Uh, it's so difficult when you can't fit a trend, isn't it? You just can't fit in. Yeah. 
It is. It's a real nightmare. But you're proud of your eyebrows. That's the thing. So they get the comb on it. They look gorgeous. Thank you very much. Yes, they've taken many years to accept, but I'm very <laughs> proud that I've uh, I've come to accept them. So yeah, my eyebrow comb would go in the time capsule for sure. Okay, lovely. That's the first thing then, Esther. That's the first thing. So what's number two? Okay, if you're an Ecast Plus subscriber, then you won't be hearing this bit because you get this podcast ad-free. For all others, sorry for the interruption, but this is where we leave a gap that will hopefully be filled by the aforementioned ads. See you soon. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome back. Right, let's get back to Esther Minito and the things she wants in a time capsule. Come on, we spend far too much time talking about other things, so let's get to the core of this podcast, shall we? What do you mean you don't care? Are you not interested in formats? <sighs> Number two is Elvis's greatest hits. <laughs> now, are you excited by the fact that they're recreating Elvis as a hologram and are going to put a show on in London? I'm very excited about that. Mm. I am so excited about that. <laughs> How long has this obsession gone on for? Oh, ever since I was a kid. Mm. I've always loved Elvis. Always, always, always loved Elvis. I went to watch the Elvis film. I thought, um, what's his name? Thingy Butler. Oh, yeah. Played Elvis. He was I thought good. he was good. He was good, I thought, yeah. But, but still, no one can come close. Particularly that young Elvis, who was just astonishingly beautiful. Yeah. We went to see it, me and my husband, the film, and every time they showed footage of Elvis as a young man, my husband was like, I never realised how handsome he was. No. I was like, it is insane. Like, he could be a woman mm. and he would have been beautiful, a man, handsome. He just had the most beautiful eyes and the most beautiful smile and such a killer voice. Uh. They even showed, um, at the end of the film, they showed the last time that he ever sung um, live, Unchained Melody. And, you you know... and. I, I always thought he'd be in his 70s when he died, but he wasn't. He was in his 40s, but he had the look, didn't he? Because mm. he had aged so much. And he's doddering and he can't breathe properly, yet he still manages to whack out a song with just like pure 
Like, I was like, how? Yeah. That's like trying to sing when you're drunk. How have you done that? Yeah. I think if he'd been born in Italy or somewhere else, he would have been immediately spotted as a potential opera singer. Yeah. Because he had that natural body to his voice. Yeah. And the fact that he mixed a lot of soul music with country music, and and I, I'm quite into country music. I, I do like mm. a bit of country, and I do like your old school 60s soul. So it always appealed to me, Elvis. And I, whenever I go for a run, I'll always have a bit of Elvis on my playlist, which <laughs> my husband finds absolutely hilarious. He's like, how do you run to Elvis? And I'm like, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, I can understand the rock and roll stuff. But that's the thing, of course, isn't it? There is an enormous choice there. Because he started off as this... Very rock and roll. I mean, it just, it was sinful, wasn't it? That's what mm. most people in America thought of him. When he, his appearance on uh, the Ed Sullivan show, mm. where he was told, you can't do that wiggle in the hip things, and then he did it. Mm. And the place goes wild. I don't know if you've ever seen the footage of it. It's just amazing. Mm. And that's in the mid-50s. Yeah. No wonder they put him in the army. I know. Um, so I would always want his hits to be remembered. Mm-hmm. If you had to pick one. What would it be? Um, either Unchained Melody mm-hmm. or If I Can Dream. I love that song. Beautiful. I would love to have seen those Las Vegas shows where you see him as in that great big white suit with all the rhinestones on it, oh, yeah. particularly when he first did it and he had such energy. And those songs where he would wind the thing up to the point where it was like a sort yeah. of, it was like a step class or something, you know, that he just went yeah. mad at the end. And to think as well that he was kind of imprisoned there, really. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? It's a, it's just a story that keeps happening. Like you see so many um, similarities between him and Amy Winehouse. Yeah. And you're just like real talent, like Amy's voice i'm sorry but oof, that girl could sing and when we went to watch the documentary about her i just was like again just been really restrained and controlled and such a young person my wife went to see the isley brothers years ago and amy winehouse as a young girl was supporting them she knew nothing about her at all and she said that she completely stole the show she's got such a soulful voice mm incredible mm. for such a tiny thing as well but elvis i like the songs where he goes really gentle you know love me tender things like that just oh i love things. love me tender wonder of you wonder of you yeah but i remember like when i was a kid going with my granddad to um the club he'd always be going to the club um <laughs> and we used to get like all the old blokes would give us like quids each and stuff and we just used to stand at the jukebox and because it was songs for my granddad's generation you literally were choosing between Patsy Cline and Elvis and Doris <laughs> yes. Day, but it would just be like, this is just my drive. So I'd just be putting on Elvis over and over <laughs> and over again and the bloke behind the bar just going, do I have to listen to Jailhouse Rock <laughs> again? <laughs> I always feel for the backing singers in The Wonder of You because it, when it starts off, you think to yourself, yeah, this is the yeah, No one else could understand me. It just keeps going up. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, go, don't go any higher. And of course he does. Yeah, of course. He can do anything. Anything. So yeah, I definitely want Elvis. My third item mm-hmm. would be, uh, due to my love of Indian food, would be my Dishoom cookbook. Oh, right. What's that? Have you been to Dishoom? No, I haven't. It's a chain of... So me and my husband, we lived in India before we had kids. And Dishoom is a chain of restaurants in London. I think there's about four or five in London. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do 
the food that you would get when you were living in India. Like it just, uh, it just feels really authentic. And mm-hmm. so for Christmas, a couple of years ago, my husband got me the Dishoom cookbook and I cook a lot from it. And I think Indian food is my favorite food. I could eat it day in, day out. I absolutely love it. And I love Dishoom, the restaurant. And the cookbook is absolutely brilliant. Um, and so that would be something I would definitely want to pass on. I like the fact that so many of the dishes contain no meat at all. And the vegetarian dishes are just so full of flavour. They're fantastic, oh, they're aren't really they? Good. Yeah. I spent all day yesterday. I was cooking from it yesterday. And the thing is, a lot of it is just soaking stuff and cooking things for a long period of time. So the actual mm. kind of prep time is like five, ten minutes. But as long as you're okay to just leave something on the hob for five hours. But I did black doll yesterday. Oh. It's just so good. <laughs> so good. So good. Yeah. Actually, sausage and mash for the kids, though, because they're like, no, I'm not having. No, I'm not eating lentils. No. My son once said to me, when I, I hate going to our mate's house because um, they make loads of foreign food. And I was thinking, <laughs> that's unusual because they don't seem like a family that make a lot of so I said, what do you mean? He was just like, oh, they're always making, you know, like pies <laughs> and shepherd's pies and <laughs> sausage and mash and toad in the hole. And I said, that's not foreign food. And he was like, yeah, no, I just wish it was like, you know, English food, like what we have here, you know, like curries <laughs> and kofta. And I was like, okay, no, you're very confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you cook Lebanese food at all then? I do cook Lebanese food. Yeah. I mean, I do love Lebanese food, but mm. I grew up with Lebanese food I definitely came to Indian food a lot later um but we cook a lot of Lebanese food and my kids my daughter not so much she never really ate a lot of Lebanese food she was never really into it my son ate from a very young age he ate a lot of Lebanese food and he definitely has the tendency to eat a lot more so when we make like kofta meat and, and salads and hummus and stuff he will eat that happily whereas my daughter will eat it but begrudgingly uh, her idea of wahay is like a chicken kiev and chips from the freezer Yes. From the freezer, yes. <laughs> it's quite, you can see which one spent a lot more time with my husband's parents growing up and which one spent a lot more time with my dad growing up. Yeah. And it has definitely shaped their palate. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two grandchildren who last Christmas, just before Christmas Day, decided they were going to go vegetarian. And they've done it for a year. And then this Christmas Day, they decided we're going to go back again. Right. I mean, it's interesting because one of them has sort of gone back, has tried a little bit of a little bit of meat, but doesn't really want to. Mm. But my grandson has gone back like he'd never eaten meat before. It was the most amazing thing he's discovered. This he's become carnivore. Wow. Amazing, isn't it? It is. It's funny what shapes them and what shapes their palate. Mm. Uh, my daughter's friend, she was saying, I'm pescatarian. And what it essentially came down to is I only eat fish fingers. I was like, okay, well, that's not pescatarian. <laughs> that's just fussy. Yeah. <laughs> I just need the fish in like these rectangle shapes and like covered in like orange stuff. And that's... <laughs> like, okay. I'm a little bit dairy intolerant. A little bit dairy intolerant. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Well, I'm very fussiness intolerant. <laughs> I know. It's a nightmare now. When kids come over to have dinner, you're just like, ah, what do I give them? <laughs> it's about 12 different intolerances going. Yeah. I'm not denigrating them because you know, to be in that situation is awful when actually you have to watch your diet. My daughter-in-law is celiac. Oh, yeah. And it's really serious. Well, I'm not celiac, but I'm gluten intolerant. Right. When I cut gluten out of my diet, the changes 
was just unbelievable. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I've just spent my whole life <laughs> just feeling quite annoyed by people with intolerances. And then when I cut gluten out, I was like, oh wow, I feel so much better. Mm -hmm. I've really been made to learn my lesson. All right. Well, let's put that fantastic cookbook in. That's number three. Yes, that's number three. And then number four mm -hmm. would be my favorite film ever, which is The Sting with Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Oh, don't they look beautiful in it? They do look beautiful. And the music ah. is incredible. Mm -hmm. Scott Joplin. The music for that film is so good. The yeah. costumes are brilliant. The storyline is amazing and the acting is superb and it is my favourite film. That is my proper rundown. Really excited because my husband taken the kids out for the day. Sunday afternoon, sit on the sofa, a cup of tea, <laughs> big old bar of chocolate. It's such a good film. I haven't watched it for years, but I do remember it in oh, enormous detail, which I always think is an example of something being a good film, that I remember a lot about it. I remember all my mates when I was like younger and they would be like, oh, their favourite films, because I hated fantasy. Mm. I hated it. <laughs> so a lot of the films that were really popular was Labyrinth, Return to Oz, Never Ending Story. Yeah. And I hated them. Mm. I absolutely hated them. And I remember I became really obsessed with anything that was kind of gang-related, crime-related, anything that had a good twist in it. And I loved dated cinema, so I wasn't a massive fan of what was kind of in the cinema at, that, at, at the time. Mm. So I'd always be watching older films. And The Sting, oh, watched it a million times. Absolutely love it. <laughs> the clothes, that's the thing. You think, so, oh, why don't we dress like that now? They're so beautiful, aren't they? And just, they're both so handsome. Amazing. I think, you know, I've in my life, I remember when that film came out and for a long time afterwards, I hankered after having a friend who I could look across a crowded room at and just touch the side of my nose and it would mean something. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. And I loved, um, well, I mean, they're both absolutely, I mean, I remember just being massively in love with both of them, but I also loved the Irish guy that they, oh, I can't remember his name. Yeah. That they screw over. He's in Jaws, isn't he? What's his name? Yes. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, of course it is. Well done. And the woman in it, who's the, no spoilers, I suppose, well, this is a spoiler, but is, is the assassin. Yeah, she's brilliant. She's terrifying. She's got she? such a great face. Yeah. And Twist, <laughs> he's great. He's great. I saw him in something else recently. But yeah, he's great. So that's my that's my all-time favourite film. And the fact that Scott Joplin couldn't read music. Really? I may have just made that up. I've got a tendency <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I always do that. I realised I've inherited this mm. from my mother. I often just go... This is fact. And then you look it up and it's like, it's not true. And it's like, where have you got that from? And I'm like, in my head, wouldn't that be a, I'm going to double check that. But I'm pretty sure that he couldn't, I think he, I bet he didn't learn to play just through listening. I think a lot of people at that time did, yes. Yeah. Um, could Scott Joplin, this is exciting. Uh, um, no, he learned by ear. Ah, there you are. He was self taught and he's an absolutely phenomenal pianist. Yeah. To develop a style, that ragtime, mm. to define it, as it were, because everybody was playing it, and suddenly he wrote these tunes. Mm. That's what this music is. Amazing. Yeah. And did you know his mother was Lebanese? No. No, she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> See? See? 
<laughs> I'm also very gullible. So it's a very it's very stressful because you'd say that to me and I wouldn't realise it's a joke and then I would retell that <laughs> on the stage, you see. So it's it's very difficult for me. <laughs> I mean, it could have been. Could have been. But yeah, absolutely brilliant. Brilliant music, brilliant storyline, brilliant acting. Love the whole thing. Fantastic film. I'm going to watch it again. It's been a long time. I'm going to watch it again. Ah, oh, God, it's a great film. It's almost like the original Ocean's Eleven, isn't it? Yeah. It's the original film of getting all these criminal pals together to take down a, a baddie. And it is better than Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I've got to say, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I remember certain elements of it, but it never stuck with me the way The Sting did. No. There we are. I'm going to do it for you. Hang on. I'm just going to give you just a little <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we know what we did. <laughs> we know. We know. Nobody else knows. That's our own little world. <laughs> <laughs> Esther, all we've got left is for you to put in something you want to get rid of. Any flavoured hummus. <laughs> your red pepper hummus. Your paprika hummus. Your sweet chilli hummus. Take it and shove it up your fucking ass because <laughs> it is... Not the way God intended hummus to be. No. And it drives me mad. I cannot tell you how many times my husband has gone shopping, come back, and I open the fridge, and there is some imposter in my fridge. <laughs> and I'm like, you can take that. I mean, to be fair, we normally make our own, but yeah. it drives me mad. Ugh, I hate it. I'm like, why take something that's so good and such a good little sundry to have with whatever you're eating? Yeah. And then change it. Why have you got to mess around with it for? <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Although I do like a chilli hummus, so I like it with a bit of esme on it. Well, you know, you can make the two separately uh, true. and put it on. Yeah. But you don't need to start mashing it up. I Honestly, <laughs> I cannot bear it. I saw something the other day and I was just like, oh, piss right off. But no, I <laughs> feel quite strongly about it. Oh, clearly. I don't know if you can yes, tell. I know. <laughs> well, that's all right. You're defending a tradition. I know. Imagine a shepherd's pie and then someone goes, I know what we're going to do. We're going to smother it with soy sauce. <laughs> no. Absolutely. Well, that really, that wins the argument. When you put it in those terms, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't like it when people do shepherd's pie and put tomato in it. No. I said that the other day. I was like, when's that become a thing? That's not a thing. It's mad. Just meat, gravy and potato. Come on. Exactly. And a bit of onion. Very simple. Bees if you're lucky. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's always it's always peasant food, isn't it? Yeah. And hummus has always been like street food. So it's like things that are straightforward, easy to make, cheap products, and they're going to fill you with energy. Mm. No one on the streets of any Levant country is there going, mm, what this needs is some <laughs> kind of sweet chili paprika. No one's doing that. No. <laughs> mm, thanks for making all that, but I'm um, just going to mix in a little. What are you doing? <laughs> I remember making spaghetti bolognese once for my kids and my father-in-law coming in with a giant bottle of ketchup and just squeezing it <sighs> on the spaghetti bolognese and went, there you go, that'll give it a bit of flavour. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. God, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, people should appreciate the centuries of work that have gone into creating this thing and making it what it is. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Absolutely. Well put. Yeah, okay. Then all those things get banished from the world. Brilliant. You'll never have to suffer them again. How marvellous. Uh, Esther, it's been 
I knew I'd like you. Ah, uh, it's been lovely. So nice to meet you. Thank you very much for doing this. No, thank you so much for having me. And have a fantastic tour, the rest of the tour. I will do. I think it ends in May. Right. But then again, I could have just made that up. <laughs> okay. I, I have no idea. I just live in a world of absolute <laughs> What am I doing tomorrow? I've got no idea what what's happens going tomorrow? On. Somebody tell me. I know. Yeah. Do you know what, though? As somebody who's quite a pessimistic person, there is no point looking forward to the future. Just whatever will be, will be. Take it one day at a time. So I will be on tour. The dates are out there. Um, I think it ends in May. Hopefully we'll all still be alive then. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Have a lovely time, whatever you do. Will do. Take care. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, Esther Manito. Thank you for listening. Thanks also if you subscribe to My Time Capsule. But if you don't, it's very simple. You just click the subscribe button and you'll be informed whenever we release new episodes. If you like us, then do leave a comment and rate the show. It really helps to attract new listeners, so thanks for that. If you have any questions or suggestions, then do contact me or My Time Capsule on Twitter. Yep, still calling it that like everyone else. Facebook, Instagram or threads. Or you can directly email the podcast via My Time Capsule Podcast at at gmail.com an email address that if you pay £2.99 a month towards this venture through Acast Plus you'll know as a jingle but I'm not going to sing it here you have to listen to our weekly bonus podcast for a treat like that <laughs> yep that's just lost us several donors I'm sure right the catchy and clever theme tune that you can hear was composed by Pass the Peas Music and is available for free on Spotify this was a cast off production for Acast and our producer was John Fenton Stevens. Right, well, I may not be singing jingles, but I'm not going to have a conversation about Elvis without taking the opportunity to do this. Here we go. One, two, three, four. Where no one else can understand when everything I do is wrong You give me hope and consolation You give me strength to carry on And you're always there to lend a hand In everything I do That's the one When you smile, the world is brighter You touch my hand and I'm a king Your kiss to me is worth a fortune Your love for me is everything I guess I've never known the reason why The wonder, the wonder of you. I answer. 
guess I'll never know the reason why you love me as you do. That's the wonder, the wonder of... If you think I'm singing that note, you must be fucking joking. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.